I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hi, everyone. Sarah here, back at it, hosting an episode of the Weave Podcast. These are hard and unsettling times we're living in now, and I hope that this podcast is providing some comfort and peacefulness and sense of normalcy for you. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Toma Ewan. Toma is a tapestry weaver in Quebec, Canada, whose work focuses on a lifelong love of the natural environment. She is also the founder of Moon Rain, a center for tapestry weaving and teaching, and a place for creative retreat and renewal. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Toma. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Hi, Sarah. Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way towards weaving? Okay. Um, Well, I'm a Canadian tapestry artist. I have been weaving tapestries for 45 years. And uh, when I was a teenager, I saw an exhibition of French tapestries. I, I believe the exhibition was organized by Jean Lursa, and it was in the uh, early 60s. And I believe it was an exhibition that uh, almost toured the world in those years. And I walked into the exhibition and... Um, it was like I was I was hit. I can still see those tapestries uh, now in my mind. Mm. I can still remember walking into the exhibition and the effect of those tapestries, um, and uh, especially the works by Jean Lursa and Dom Pierre. And it was the pastoral quality of his works, the um, sort of uh, gentle uh, animals, flowers. Um, um, Paysage, uh, just very gentle lyrical um, images that uh, have, you know, just really influenced me, affected me, and and inspired me. And in that moment, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I had no idea how they were done. I I really knew nothing about tapestry, um, but uh, that experience stayed in my mind and. I did a BFA. Uh, I graduated in 1971. And always in the back of my mind was that I wanted to do tapestry. But crafts were not popular. They were not being taught at that point. My uh, fine art education was really quite classical. But I always veered to towards fabric and using fabric and experimenting with fabric. And so in my in my final year I, I did large soft sculptures. Um and and all, always somehow uh in the back of my mind I wanted to I wanted to approach tapestry, but um it wasn't until I received a graduate scholarship to study in Finland and I apprenticed with a Finnish tapestry artist named Oily Mackey that I had a chance to, to, to learn tapestry, to study it, and, and to do it, to begin. And uh, after wow. I... What was that yeah, learning process like? Uh, well, it was amazing because it was in her studio. I was um, uh, both a student and, and an assistant. And uh, I learned to weave. I learned to weave. I learned to weave my own designs, and I wove designs for her. 
but I also accompanied her on her lecture tours and when she went to the opening of openings of exhibitions and and so I I really I learned the whole life of a tapestry artist uh, when she had guests or clients come to the studio I would bring tea and um, you know it was really uh, it was the most amazing gift really to to learn the life of a tapestry artist and so when I came back to Canada I I I had I knew I had to set up a studio my own studio and um, and begin to weave and and that's what I did and I did that here at Moon Rain Center and um, uh, it was at a time when land was very inexpensive so um, so myself and my husband at the time, who was a classical musician, we were able to afford it, although it was very expensive. I think our our hundred acre property cost twelve thousand dollars at the time, and and we slowly we slowly built it. it was an adventure. Uh, we cut the we cut the the trees to and had the, the logs milled at a, a nearby. Uh, sawmill and we built our house and we built the studio and very slowly uh, you know over 45 years I I have established a, you know a life in tapestry yeah mm-hmm. wow what was the first piece that you remember weaving on your own where you really felt like you were getting a handle of the materials and could make them work in the way you wanted them to I, I wove my first tapestry was uh, called the Nightingale and the Morning Goat, and it was an illustration for uh, a story, like a children's story, uh, that I wrote. Um, and and actually, uh, I I wove that I wove that in Finland in my teacher's studio, and um, uh, you know we were in Finland, and it was it was a uh, um, uh, you're really part of the culture to take saunas and we we often took saunas in the evening and um, one night going to the sauna hut she said let's write a story called the nightingale and the morning goat and um, and and so I wrote a story <laughs> and illustrated it with that tapestry that was that was my first tapestry yeah yeah hmm. what kind of materials and loom uh, wool always wool weft on a cotton warp that was um that was what she used uh, although i think occasionally it was linen warp but i've always used a cotton warp for my tapestries wool weft on a cotton warp occasionally i add uh, other threads to sort of do accents or shadows like sort of silk or cotton sometimes embroidery threads uh, <clears throat> Uh, Thomas Cronenberg gave me a little skein of a beautiful um, dark blue uh, acrylic fiber from Japan. Uh, once when he was visiting Canada, he gave that to me as a gift, and I've used little bits of that as accent. Uh, but primarily, I weave with a wool weft on a cotton warp, and and I I've used the same materials for most of my career, actually. Um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I use, I use yarn from two Canadian factories, um, that are 
have been in existence for generations and are still in existence. Um, Briggs and Little in New Brunswick, Canada, and Filetteur Lemieux in uh, Beauce, Quebec. So I've been using those yarns for, you know, 45 years. You know, some people would say it's a limited color palette, but um, but I I like it. What? How many colors do you have to work with, and and do you ever dye your own, or do you stick with? Those? I I don't do my own dyeing because um, I found it toxic. I I spent a year studying at the Banff Center in uh, Winter Cycle in the Fiber Studio under Mariette Rousseau Vermet. That was an extraordinary experience. Um, uh, but there was a dye a dye workshop that I took a very intensive dye workshop with with Procyon dyes and I was sick at the end of the week even though um, even though we all wore um, uh, masks very good masks and there was um, an excellent ventilation system in the dye studio so it was really um, top-notch sort of equipment and environment but I'm extremely sensitive <laughs> so so I don't mm. I don't do dyeing. Um, my my daughter Gabby does dyeing occasionally, and whenever I've sort of been around it, I can I can feel it that I'm. It's not good for me. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. You write on your website that as you weave each tapestry, you attune to ancient sacred mysteries that are inherent in the weaver's path. Path. And I'm wondering if you could talk about what you mean by that and how you taught yourself to attune to those mysteries. Um, well, uh, a long time ago, I think I'd be weaving for uh, maybe eight to ten years. Um, I started to notice, uh, you might call it aura, or just, it was like streams of energy coming out of my fingertips and following really the the motion or the path of the weft, you know, it goes over and under. And and so these lovely little streams of energy were lacing through the tapestry and um, coming out of my hands. And I remember sitting there thinking like, whoa, weaving is really special, you know. Um, and uh, uh, it was, you know, so, but I, I, at the time I didn't really say anything <laughs> About it because um, you know how do you how do you sort of explain it and um, and then years later just in researching weaving and in reading about weaving and when I did an exhibition tour um, Canadian Foreign Affairs toured my work through um, a number of um, um, Canadian embassies. Um, in, in Latin America and and in the um, in the museums where the exhibitions took place, I met sort of the curators and the anthropolo anthropologists um, working at the museum, and um, they they told me about you know these in in the weaving in the Maya culture and what it represents and 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 then later on um, I began to research Navajo weaving and and uh, what weaving has represented in these cultures uh, through millennia and it's really part of their 
sacred belief system. Um, um, the universe is thought to have been woven into being. The, the you know the creator spirit is Spider Woman to the Navajo, the the creator of all things, and it's thought that she spun the universe and wove the earth and and you know these are all really beautiful um, concepts and they sort of um, how shall I say nourish me um, nourish me to continue to weave you know to continue to believe but really it's the experience of the energy that taught me there was more to this than just uh, you know a warp and weft in a two-dimensional picture that you are weaving into being that um, that weaving is linked to energy it's linked to life energy um, also you know if you if you look at the path of the weft it's really a flowing line it's a sine wave and that that pattern you know that line that undulating line is it appears in cave paintings and it's thought to be um, you know either like flowing like like water but um, uh, also just you know a sign for life because really almost everything flows in uh, an undulating undulating pattern you know, light energy, sound waves, water. Um, so it, it's all sort of linked together. Weaving is um, weaving is is linked to life. <laughs> it's linked to life energy. And so when you're weaving, mm -hmm. it's really kind of a beautiful, um, a, a beautiful sort of understanding that we are. We are doing something that makes us feel good because it is, it has flowing energy. And um, I tell this to kids in the weaving projects or the school projects that we do, and they immediately understand because it's um, it's mutually supporting life. Does that answer the question? <laughs> it does. I love that. Thank you for sharing. You mentioned a little earlier on that you called the place where you moved Moon Rain, and I know that it's become a lot, it's become a it's a, a lot of things since you have moved there. Um, why did you decide to open it? What what is it, and um, why is it called Moon Rain? Um, the name Moon Rain came one night when we were here. Um, there was a um, shower of meteorites and a full moon, and the name Moon Rain just came. Um, we, uh, I told you, we 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 cut we cut the wood, uh, you know, we cut we cut the logs from the property, and we lived in the loft of a barn that was on the property uh, before the house was built, and there was no no electricity, no, no running water, and the evening entertainment was to lie down on a blanket outside and watch the stars come out. And so one night there was this beautiful um, shower of meteorites over a full moon. And the name Moonray came and it stuck. <laughs> and we, we lived in Toronto for 10 years. We, um, we lived at the center of life, center of cultural life in Toronto. Uh, 
my ex-husband was a classical musician and, you know, started concert series and had a wonderful chamber orchestra, which he conducted. And, um, and uh, I organized exhibitions. I organized a group of tapestry artists. I, I named it Tapestry Makers. We were six Toronto tapestry artists and I. I organized exhibitions all over Greater Toronto for us at the time. Uh, yes, and I started teaching. I started doing artisan schools projects in Toronto. But then we, um, I moved here uh, after Toronto. My 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 marriage ended, and I decided to move here. Um, I didn't. I gave myself a year. I didn't know if I could if I could do it. I didn't know if I could survive. Um, I gave myself a year, and um, I bet I've been here for more than 30 years <laughs> here at Moonrain. Um, hmm. Yeah. How have you found living in such a rural area in contrast to Toronto has, has changed the way you are working and thinking about your work? Uh, yeah, it was total culture shock to begin with. Um, and whereas Toronto at the time was incredible and it seemed like every door was open uh, I didn't find that uh, I didn't find that Ottawa had the same um, feeling towards the crafts and tapestry um, the years that I was in Toronto were the the wonderful years of the Ontario Crafts Council when it had a gallery on Dundas Street, really almost opposite the Art Gallery of Ontario. And I was in the first opening exhibition of that gallery in 1976. And um, re really just, uh, those were wonderful years for tapestry in Toronto and wonderful years for the crafts. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a different time now a very different time now um, and um, com but coming to moon rain was uh, a bit of a shock surviving in winter heating with wood <laughs> uh, it was a, a big learning experience but slowly I established my studio and having a website um, uh, really really helped uh, uh, it helped popularize the the workshops that I would give in summertime and um, and I, you know, I just, I kept on with, with my career, um, uh, you know, making exhibition proposals, occasionally having exhibitions, uh, accepted, uh, in public art galleries. Um, and, uh, one, one very important thing was Canadian foreign affairs at the time, um, uh, you know, organized and coordinated a number of exhibitions, sort of toured my work. Uh, at the time and purchased a tapestry for the collection and things like that. So, uh, you know, um, it's, uh, it's been very interesting. One very important um, sort of phase in, like in surviving was um, beginning to, do, to direct community tapestry projects and um, the... Um, that started with a wonderful 
local arts council in the Ottawa area called Arts Ottawa East, and their fabulous director at the time, Christine Tremblay, she had been to a, a Community Arts Ontario conference in Toronto where there was a community tapestry project taking place led by uh, Peter Harris, uh, of Aiton, Ontario, and and he uh, he he knew me and told Christine to get in touch with me that I was more in the Ottawa area. So Christine called me and said, you know, she had this idea to do a community tapestry project in Ottawa, and um, was I interested? And um, and I really hadn't, I didn't really know very much about them at the time, but I said yes, let's talk about it, and. Um, um, she arranged for it to be in a shopping center called Place d'Orleans in Ottawa East. And uh, that was sort of my first experience of, um, you know, weaving in, in the public, working with the public, and it was an amazing kind of eye-opener to me and really opened up uh, several decades of working with communities and um I, I was just overwhelmed by the generosity of, of people who would come upon the project and want to participate. And, and you know, several people kept coming back. And I think I was most profoundly affected by there's one woman who came each week. She called it her therapy. She was undergoing uh, chemotherapy uh, at the time. And... And she said, coming and weaving on the project made her feel good. <laughs> and I, I just was so profoundly moved by that, so touched by that. And there were so many stories of people who came and participated in the project. And, um, um, and, and that sort of situation kind of keeps happening, you know, and has happened over time. Uh, you know, sometimes in, immigrant people and families who come and join the, uh, the project and uh, they remember weaving from their, their home cultures. And so it's very touching. They, you know, it's a way of connecting with people uh, of all cultures, of all racial backgrounds, of all ages, of all ethnicity, of everything, you know. Um, and... Um, it's, it's a way of sort of sharing and co-creating. So um, the community tapestry project concept was sort of a, almost like a, a, a new beginning or a different aspect of tapestry that I've had the privilege of participating in. So tell me, tell me about what launched your Starting with the Vision Weave project. In... Um, in 2006 or 2007, I attended an event in Toronto with the Dalai Lama called a chakra, uh, a Kala chakra for world peace, and it was 11 days um, in the presence of the Dalai Lama and his monks. Um, 11 days, and and you know we were sitting uh, in a large convention center in Toronto. There were thousands of people. We each had our chair. We had to stay in our chair. And um, and basically listening to the, the, the Dalai Lama, the monks, reciting these prayers that was the cycle of the Kala Chakra um, Tantra, I believe. Um, and uh, about uh, halfway through, I 
I noticed that it was like the vibrations had permeated by being so much. So when I walked out into Toronto, uh, and the location was right beside the Gardner Expressway, so so the noise of traffic and the noise of the city was just huge. But it was just as if um, it was just as if the the vibrations and all the sounds of the city of Toronto were vibrating in exactly the same sort of tones and pace as these prayers, these recitations of the monks and the Dalai Lama. So everything was vibrating to the same frequency, and it was amazing. And I had always been a little bit agoraphobic, so this was sort of like my acceptance of this amazing life of, of a huge city. Um, and, and at the end, at the end of the 11 days, the Dalai Lama did the empowerment and the blessing to everyone uh, in the room. So he was standing with his hands together in 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 sort of prayer position, and and then just sort of uh, spreading them out um, and sort of directing them, sort of fanning out this blessing to the whole room um, of thousands of people, and I felt as if bolts of energy, sort of almost like electrical energy, were flowing through me up and down, and um, it was like I was being rewired. That was what I felt. And when I left the Kali Chakra at, at the end of, the, of that sort of ceremony and that event, I had the courage to start the Vision Wave Project and the courage to ask people what they want for the earth. What is their vision for the future? You know, what is what is their personal vision for life on the planet? And, um, and, and sort of this ceremony gave me the, the courage to both ask the question and do the project. And, um, you know, I was I was so worried that people would not want to participate, uh, but it was exactly the opposite. It was like it was like people want the opportunity to express their individual visions and desires and goals. They want to have a voice. They want to share that voice, and they want to. Um, they also want and need to know what a collective voice is saying. So, uh, so that was that, that was something that was extremely important to me uh, to have that experience and to sort of carry forward in my in my work and in my work with communities. Yeah. So, how has that collaborative community work evolved for you over the years? Um, well, um, it's evolved in, in different ways. Um, it allowed me to both design and create and sort of put into public places works that became, uh, a collective co-creation, um, with different members of the community. So in a sense, people are working under my direction to create a work that will be installed in a public place. And that's an amazing experience as an artist to direct something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And we've also used the concept to uh, to do school projects. And one of the projects that I developed um, for both schools and communities is the Vision Wave project. And that's been one of our um, uh, our, our like our longest running projects. We've done it many times. Probably thousands of people have worked on Vision Wave projects, mostly kids, because many of the projects are done in school situations. Um, and the Vision Wave project evolved uh, because I was asking myself, what do people want for the Earth, for the future of our planet, uh, you know, for communities? Uh, because on, on the news, on the media, you know, in the media, it's, it's negativity. War, it's corruption, it's disaster, and so I'm saying, like, what do people want? This is what we're being sort of mirrored with, but is this what we want? And I thought I don't want to project onto people what what I want. I want to ask them what they want, and so I devised a community project where we're both weaving, but we're asking people to write down their their ideas, their vision for the future of the earth, you know, for for life on the planet, for a, a vision for community. So we ask people to write down their vision um, on on a little piece of ribbon and then interweave that into the tapestry. We also ask people to write down their vision in a book. So I've collected now uh, a number of notebooks filled with people's visions of what they want for the earth. And uh, we collectively weave a piece, and we have this beautiful record of visions of what people's um, hopes um, and dreams are for for future, for our our planet, you know, our planet together. And and by and large, really, the most common vision is peace on Earth, you know. So this project has been so positive for me because I have learned that really we all want the same thing. It's very few people who don't want, um, you know, peace on earth and, and really just uh, all good things for for everyone to share. What are the other kinds of things that people wrote in their visions for the earth? Oh, um uh, thoughts for the environment. There's a great deal of thoughts for the environment. Uh, for health, um, you know, for um, safe food, healthy food, um, uh, you know, for cures for cancer, for uh, happiness in their family. Um, uh, I, d I don't have a uh, I don't have a book out in front of me, but yeah. the visions are in incredible, and sometimes children say the most moving things. Um, when we do this project in a school, we might be in a school for a week, and every child, every class participates in the project, so they're all weaving and they're all writing a vision, and sort of on on the last day sort of in the afternoon at the end of the project, we have an assembly um, where everyone comes into the gym, say, to sit down at the finished finished tapestries, the finished weaving banners, 
the visually thinners are um, are held out by kids, and um, and several kids read out a selection of the visions, um, and you can hear a pin drop as mm. everyone is listening to the visions because this is of vital importance to every child who's alive on the planet now you know the future of life on the planet you know and we all know it's um it's in jeopardy and um and and this is extremely important yeah but it's also extremely important to know that people all want the same thing Mm-hmm. yeah it really is. I've talked to a few other weavers on the podcast as I've been talking to people that do collaborative community work um, and where people are, are working on, on weaving in their hopes and visions for their futures and their families. And it, it really is striking to me both what I hear as similar threads from that and also the ways in which it seems like weaving is just such a perfect medium to do work like that because it's so you know, the weaving threads in is like both like metaphorically and physically really the essence of, I think, the work you're talking about. So it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, weaving is such a perfect metaphor for community. Um, everything interlacing and working together. You know, it's really, yeah. it's really the ideal contemporary metaphor for our time because now more than ever we need a community and we need people working together have you found that working on these collaborative projects um, influences your own tapestry work that you do on your own as well um no no not um no not not really i i think um you know i i think these these designs uh, for my own work, they, they come to me and they're very powerful. And sometimes it might take a year before I actually get down to the actual weaving of a certain design. So that designer idea has been gestating and um, uh, uh, yeah, um, I, I like to try to separate the time that I um, that I devote for just weaving in my own studio and my own work and then a community tapestry. And, uh, for instance, I just finished uh, a large tapestry called Star Watch. I think I, I sent you the image of that, and I, um, I, I, I set aside the winter to work on it. And we have a large community tapestry project starting, but I didn't want to start the community tapestry project until after I'd finished Star Watch. I kind of needed to be done the, the ideas, uh, for one before I started the other. And they're all, they're all intense. They're both intense and need a sort of everything I can possibly give them, um, sort of separately almost. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So where can people go online or in person if they're near you to learn more about you and about your work? Well, I live in the Gatineau Mountains, um, about an hour north of Ottawa, so the capital of Canada. And um, so if you're in the Ottawa area, just please call and 
um, and you're welcome to come visit the studio. Um, but you can look at my website, which is um, moonrain.ca, and um, and you can sort of find out more about projects that I've done. Um, and there's a contact page, so it's really actually easy to get in touch with me. That's great. And I will also put a link to that in the show notes. And um, do you have any closing advice or words of wisdom for weavers out there? Mm, follow your heart, you know. Um, mm. Follow your heart. Follow the, the things that you love. Um, you know, you know, weave images of the things you love. Um, uh, I I sort of believe that you only need to sort of look around you or just walk out your front door and you'll see everything you need <laughs> to in terms of ideas. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I also would like to say that I'm, I'm speaking at a conference in Ireland in May, um, the International Tapestry Symposium in Galway in uh, May 22nd to 20. Fifth, and um, uh, I'll be exhibiting there as well. I'm also in an exhibition called Interface that is in England now of 15 British artists and 15 Canadian tapestry artists, and it will be coming to Canada in 21 and 22. Hmm, that's wonderful. Well, Toma, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me for this podcast and to share your stories. I really appreciated hearing them, and I'm excited to share them. Okay, thanks. Take care. That's a wrap. To see photos of Toma's work and links to her website, please visit www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 102. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com slash episode 102. Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is speaking with Kelsey Doty. Kelsey is a PhD candidate at Cornell University and faculty at Kansas State University. Kelsey's work aims to teach the next generation of fashion professionals about design and sustainability through scientific research and experimentation of natural dye for the commercial market. In their conversation, they talk about how Kelsey's personal background has influenced her fiber practice. So thank you for tuning in this week. Be well and stay tuned next week for the next week's episode. And until next time, happy weaving.